Greetings, travelers. Welcome back to Tales from the Enchanted Forest with your animal companions, Fox and Sparrow. That's me. If you've been following us on Twitter and Instagram at Tales from the Enchanted Forest, then you will know that we have a very exciting tale for you today. Rumpelstiltskin is a German fairy tale collected by our favorite German brothers, the Brothers Grimm, for their 1812 book, Children's and Household Tales. The story itself is supposed to be at least 4,000 years old, but the earliest variant of the story was written in 1705 with the title Richten Richton by, and pardon my French, I'm going to say this and butcher it, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's written by Le Urtier. That was my, that, that was a really bad French it's accent. It's okay. Uh, if we have any viewers that are French or speak French or think they can speak French better than me, please send me the correct pronunciation. I would love to say that name. <laughs> what we all, we should have just learned French, honestly. I looked into it and I wanted, I really wanted to say the German pronunciation of Rumpelstiltskin, but I looked at it and I just, I said, no, I think it's better <laughs> if we leave it. Spare our listeners. <laughs> I'll pronounce, that's the only French thing I'll pronounce it. So today we're going to be talking about Rumpelstiltskin, but if you're trying to remember all the plot points, do not worry! We are here for you. Today we're going to be going through the story and telling you our insights and observations while going through the story that the Brothers Grimm have given us so long ago. A long time ago, there was a poor miller with a very beautiful daughter. One day, the miller must go and speak to the king for uh, some reason or other. Wanting to make himself seem important, he tells the king a small little lie. You know, just that his daughter is able to spin straw into gold. <laughs> Clearly this guy has never learned how to tell a believable lie before. Unsurprisingly, the king isn't too convinced. But the prospect of someone spinning straw into gold is just too good to pass up. So the king brings the miller's daughter into a chamber full of straw and tells her that she must spin it all into gold by tomorrow morning or he'll have her killed. <laughs> like what? I have many questions. Why is this meeting happening? In which world you have yeah. to go before the king and lie to him about your daughter spinning straw into gold? Uh, exactly. But also, why would you tell the king your daughter can spin straw into gold? A little foresight would be nice, but I just, I don't understand. Wouldn't the king be like, well, if your daughter can spin straw into gold, why are you a miller? Why are you poor? Okay, so the poor miller has to speak to the king. That's, we can both agree, is quite dumb. <laughs> the fact that unprompted has to go speak to the king, fine. They're having their usual coffee chat, because apparently they're buddies and they're doing this. <laughs> unprompted, he just decides to tell him this lie like why don't you tell him that you spin straw into gold you're well important. maybe he thinks that if if i tell him my daughter can do it he won't be so mean to my daughter um one variant of this story actually that i've seen that makes a lot more sense than the miller having tea and coffee with the king is one mm -hmm. where the king overhears the miller telling people that his daughter can spin straw into gold meaning that she makes her hair look really nice like her blonde hair look golden oh and that one i was like well that makes sense but then why would you why would you phrase it as my daughter can spin straw into gold about her hair 
That's actually an interesting take. I always thought that when he said that, that was supposed to be an analogy for like kind of wordplay. She takes regular words and then makes them like kind of witty, something like that. But that makes more sense that she's making her hair pretty. Well, I mean, if she has blonde hair and, you know, like straw-like is a way to describe hair. And then you say, well, her straw-like hair can turn into golden locks. I guess maybe that's why. So he's trying to tell the king, his best friend, that he, you know, he has coffee with every morning. And yep. his daughter's really, really good at taking care of her hair. And the king goes, gold? Where? <laughs> Where? I want it on this action. Oh, actually, I've just thought another thing, how you said wordplay. It could be that maybe the miller meant been strong to gold as a way of saying that she can take something very normal and mundane and make the best out of it. Because that'd be a really nice way of being like, well, my daughter, you know, we don't have much, but she can take something simple. She can take this simple straw that we have. And because of how she is, she can make it into something worthy or worthwhile. Okay, but he's also trying to make himself be more important or whatever. But it's also one of the first lines is she's very beautiful. Is that you're not your opening thing? Look, my daughter (laughs) is beautiful. Does that help? elevate my status i don't think so i don't think so i think spinning straw into gold is more marketable than being beautiful these days this is like a such a random like lie he had this one loaded like he didn't go in there just like off the top of his head like oh what lie can i say like he had this ready to go well, well this reminds me of this roman myth i can't I, okay i i will remember it at some point but I've been listening to a lot of mythology recently um, from Stephen Fry's collection. And there was one myth that just stuck out to me is when this lord or this king said that his wife could beat this other lord's horses in a race while okay. she was pregnant. <laughs> so it might not have been Roman. It might have been Viking. Okay, there's a myth somewhere out there that belongs to some culture either the vikings or the romans or the greeks but a man makes his pregnant wife run in a race against a horse and she loses that sounds mean Does she have the baby while she's racing she had the baby at the end i think but it's just it's one of those things where you're like why would you say that why why would you say this thing that's gonna have consequences for somebody else just don't say anything just tell the king his coffee's lovely, and he can go speak to the baker next. Talk about just extreme random lying. Well, let's see what consequences it has for the miller's daughter. But okay, no, we have to talk this last part again quickly. Like, so he brings her back to the, the castle, and it's like brings her this big chamber full of straw, and tells her, yeah, she must spin it all into gold by tomorrow, or he'll have her killed. How extreme! You know, you hear about your good friend having coffee with that his daughter can, like, spin straw into gold. And you know what? That's so good. We'll just kill her if she doesn't do it. What? At that point, what is her value, right? She's just pretty. If she can't spin straw into gold, she must die. But also, why not punish the person who told you this ludicrous lie? No, I don't think you're wrong. I think it's very, very weird that he, he goes to this very extreme of, I want this room to be full of gold tomorrow morning. Or I will kill you. I think it's a very strange extreme. And it's a really weird hill to to make a stand on. That you pick this one Miller's daughter. And you just go, well, do as your father says you can. Or I will kill you. It seems like a weird waste of an executioner. A weird waste of a morning. 
it might be a pride thing. Maybe he figures, well, if people think they can lie to me about these weird fantastical things and there's no consequences, I'll just keep getting lied to. You know, what if the baker says his son can bake bread into gold next and then I'll keep looking like a fool? At least that's what I thought. I thought it was more of a thing where he's like, well, either in the morning I'll have money, lots and lots of money and gold, or, you know, I have to make an example out of her. And then he gets to have his next coffee chat with the miller and be like, so sorry about that. I think I killed your dog. You got any more kids? <laughs> or kids? I'm like, can you cover the coffee this time? You know, he didn't have that room full of gold. I bet he was betting to use that money uh, on the coffee that he always had with his subject. Anyways, after telling her this, the beautiful maiden, feeling thoroughly confused by this turn of events, tries to figure out how she should go about to turn straw into gold, you know, as one regularly debates in their day-to-day lives. But feeling pretty defeated by this impossible task, she begins to cry. At this moment, though, a little man appears and asks why she is crying. She explains this whole situation to him, and he says he can spin the straw into gold for a price. The maiden, I have tried to figure out what to do about this, offers him her necklace. And now, this must have been some pretty sweet necklace because he accepts this as payment. <laughs> okay. I have more questions. Who is this little man? Where did he come from? How did he know the miller's daughter is in the tower or in this room? How does he know how to spin straw into gold? I, I, this is one of those stories, definitely, we have to suspend belief. But it's still fun to poke fun and be like, well, why? none of this makes sense. Who are these people? There is actually only one name in this whole story. Everyone is referred to by their title or association. Apparently in this kingdom, no one cares for names. Names are just irrelevant. I think that might be more of a, a fairy tale trope, actually, where you don't actually give characters names. They're just by their occupation or by who they're related to or what they look like. So you have Snow White because her skin is as white as snow, which is very, very, you know, unique and clever to this it's one a vampire. girl. <laughs> um, you have Cinderella because of the ashes and the cinders that she's surrounded by. I think names are really powerful as the story I think will go on to show. So by not giving them names, it doesn't necessarily give them agency. Because, I mean, the, the beautiful maiden, she's beautiful and she's a maiden. Those are her defining characteristics so far. We have the king, who is just titled the king. We have the poor miller, so his adjective there is poor. So we have poor miller, beautiful maiden, king, and we have little man, which, you know, will come back to haunt us because he has an actual name. Who's later going to be referred to as the dwarf. To be fair, I don't think the maiden has any real agency. She has no name. She has no defining characteristics so far, besides the fact that she cannot turn strong to gold. We don't really know who she is. How did she react when people came into her house and told her she was going to go see the king? How did her dad tell her that he told this lie? Or did he even tell her and she had to find out from the king? I believe he didn't tell her. I think he... he heard what the king was going to do and was like ah i think i'm going to the tavern tonight and um like good luck we'll see what happens in the morning but yeah um to her for her i feel like she has no agency in her life from this point on she's just surrounded by these men who tell her what to do or tell her what they can do and she just has to kind of accept it because she's not really a character she's just going through the motions of being there Yes, well, 
Sky just pops out of nowhere. <laughs> Creeper. So he accepts this task of turning straw into gold for the small price of a necklace. And it was a poor biller's daughter, so it couldn't have been that nice. But either way, he seemed to like this and decided that was good enough. So through the night, the dwarf spins all the straw into gold. And at sunrise, the king returns to be absolutely gobsmacked by all the gold in the chamber. Totally and absolutely thrilled by this. The king doesn't, you know, say thank you, doesn't say good job. He simply brings her to an even bigger room with more straw and tells her to turn it once again, all the straw into gold by morning or he will kill her. Good night. Horrible working conditions. Like, can she just get one night's worth of sleep? She worked in theory all night. Now she has to do another all nighter. She should like unionize or something this is just ridiculous the only other person that's in that room is a dwarf and i think he's having tons of rest because he leaves whenever he's done do you think she sleeps while he works i think it'd be very bold of her to sleep while he works maybe she stays awake and watches him and then the next morning she probably sleeps during the day and then works at night the king right away takes her to another room. Well, I always thought the way I always read it was that he takes her to the other room or like she gets, you know, fed, I hope, fed and has a chance to sleep. And then she gets taken to the other room. I think it's one of those things where it's more magical if she works at night or works through the night as opposed to working throughout the day. Because why not just send her into the room in the morning and then ask for it to be done by night? Um, I think it's one of those things where fairy tales love to have spooky things happen at night and have it be all mystical and you know you wake up to Santa's presence in this case the king wakes up to this room full of gold and this you know woman who can apparently spin straw into gold quite a feat to be sure anyways at the prospect of pulling an, another all-nighter the maiden cries but once again the dwarf shows up and this time she gives him her ring in exchange for his help. So once again, through the night, the dwarf works away, spinning the straw into gold and morning comes and the king is just overjoyed seeing all the straw is gone and has been replaced with beautiful piles of gold. To thank the maiden, he rewards all of her hard work with, you guessed it, an even bigger room with even more straw. <laughs> Yay! But to kind of, you know, guess he maybe he's feeling guilty or something now because this time the king tells her to spin it all by morning. And if she does, this time she won't just get to live to see another day, but she will also become his bride. I mean, swinging between extreme series, either going to kill her or going to marry her. I'm not sure how I'd feel about marrying a guy like that, but okay. Maybe doubt she has a say in the matter, given that he kidnapped her and put her into three different rooms. And, you know, kept him in his castle all night. But I don't understand. Is he marrying her because she's beautiful? Is he marrying her because she's good financially? Like, she'll keep the kingdom running with her spinning gold? Does he expect her to keep spinning gold for the rest of her life? And if so, why marry her? Why not just, you know, lock her up and tell her that's going to be her job for the rest of her life? I wonder if it is because she's beautiful, because that's one of the only adjectives we really get about her. If he's like, well, you know what? She's hot. And she's efficient, so, you know. <laughs> Qualities, apparently, that this king's looking for. He hasn't for. even really interacted with her besides telling her he's going to kill her. 
What no. part of that makes him go, well, I must marry her? I think it's because she's beautiful. Um, and her beauty is what's saving her in this situation. Because if she was, you know, not beautiful, if she was a man, I think the, the king would have been like, well, indentured servant for the rest of your life. Let's go. Uh, in the original version, the king was essentially saying, because he didn't want anyone else to have access to this rich financial income, he thought, well, I can't let anyone else be the richest person, so I got to marry her. Uh, he's a gold digger. I think we can just establish that. Well, I mean, it's really hard not to call him that because that's literally what he's doing. Or a gold spinner, I guess, <laughs> is a better way of putting it. I love it. Um, I mean... I don't, like, I don't understand his motivation. You know, with characters, you try to understand, okay, where are they coming from? What are their defining traits? What is their hubris? Like, there's, there's really nothing here to go off of besides, I guess, maybe overconfidence or arrogance, maybe even ignorance, because he doesn't really know how this works, but he's taking it at face value. He's seeing, it could be, it could very well be fool's gold where it exists. And then once you actually try and keep it or do something with it or after a period of time, it disappears. It's really kind of no questions asked with this king. Miller shows up for coffee. He says, yeah, my daughter can spin gold. King goes, sure. Okay, let's see it. Girl spins gold. King doesn't really ask, you know, how can you do this? He just goes, sure, bigger room. Let's go. Yeah. Next day, he's like, you know what? I'm going to marry you. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's very, very clear cut. At least he's a very, very efficient king, I suppose. He's like, I want this. It happens. Just goes right through with it. I don't think this king has a high intelligence. I think he's just like, hey, I see gold. I get gold. I'm good. I mean, I guess. I do feel bad if he's beautiful. She's still a miller's daughter. Wouldn't a king want to marry a princess or a noble or someone else to alleviate his status? Why her? I don't know why marrying her is the only thing. I mean, obviously, I don't wish ill on this, <laughs> this maiden. I mean, he could just, you know, just make her a servant and like, yo, you got to stay here and keep spinning that gold for me. You yeah, can't it very you know. easily be more of a Rapunzel situation where he goes, all right, get up in this tower and, you know, run my economy for me. <laughs> Print me some gold. I feel like it's going to ruin his economy if he's hoarding all that gold. Yeah, and I know it's a fairy tale. I know it's been the fantastic. We do have to suspend belief. But the fact that not one, does he say, how are you doing this? Is this a skill that can be? Maybe he assumes that because we do see this little man, like she doesn't really question the little man either. I'm assuming this is a land where magic does occur and the fantastic does happen. But it does strike me a bit odd that he doesn't just go, well, if you can teach this skill, why don't we teach other people? And then I can have more people spending more gold until, you know, we you know completely diminish the value of gold. But <laughs> for now, he's just totally fine with this. Like this one girl can do this uh, and I want to marry her. Let's go. Let's 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 do it. Or I'll kill you if you don't. You know, there's still that threat of that. So after giving her that final threat slash um, incentive, depending on how you want to look at it, the king leaves and the dwarf once again reappears and asks what the maiden can offer him this time in exchange for his uh, services. Having nothing more to offer, uh, the dwarf kind of comes up with this random idea. He says, hey, instead of like giving me, you know, any jewelry or anything like that, how about you promise me um, your firstborn child? I mean, you know, not at all creepy. <laughs> not at the all. top of my head. What you got in here? Uh, you know, a scrap of fabric, any more gold, you know, promise of... You got there's no, you got no jewelry, you got no prospects. Let me give, I'll give you a good offer here. I give you 
spinning of the swan goal, okay? And you give me a firstborn child. Sound fair? Yeah, totally fair. Here you go. Here you go. Here's my baby, you know? You know, brainstorming here. I'm looking at this room. There's nothing here. Just just off the top of my head. No, just just spitball here. I mean, this guy's really playing the long game. What if she can't have kids? What if she decides not to have kids? What if, like, you know... Don't want to will it wish you know this this Miller's daughter who we've you know torn apart for have not having a personality for being beautiful yada yada yada, but what if she dies at some point without having a kid? Is he just gonna do all of this free labor for her on the off chance that she has a kid? Bit weird, bit weird. But again, it's the the fairy tale trope of that firstborn child, first prize. Scared to ask the question of what he plans on doing with the kid. Like, my headcanon, he's just actually really wants to be a dad. I I just really want to have that father-kid relationship. But, like, that sounds rough. Is that what he wants? Like, whenever there's been that thing where where any fairy tale character wants the firstborn child, the assumption is they're going to, you know, eat them or curse them or something. But I just have this lovely headcanon as well, where I think they want to raise them. Like, the witch that asked for the first child, yep, she's totally just going to raise that baby as her own. Make it a little baby witch. You know, this, this little creepy man might want to make this firstborn child into a little creepy child like him. Maybe because there's something stopping these magical creatures from having children themselves, they see the next best thing as human children. And so they just kind of adopt them forcefully, forcefully from their parents. That's cool, right? We still do that. I mean, his tactics aren't good, but no. Anyways. Let's pretend that this isn't like a human sacrifice. Let's pretend that this is just, I would like to raise this child, take him to all his baseball games. The king's yes. an idiot, you know? I don't want the king anywhere near this child. This is like magical child protective services. They're coming in, they're taking the children, and they're going to raise them right. He realizes that this girl has no agency. Yeah. And that this king is erratic. Yeah. Well, you know what I like? It's her firstborn child, not firstborn son, which is usually the trope. You know, not firstborn, very specified. It's very, it's only firstborn child. So maybe he wants the firstborn to be a girl so he can raise this girl in a very feminist-leaning way so that when she is asked by the king to spin straw into gold, she can look at him and go, well, how do you propose I do that? As opposed to crying, but we'll see. She does cry a lot in this. Yeah, I mean, I would too. I would have, I would full on be sobbing. Like, how does this king expect me to do this? I don't even know where to begin. I don't even know how to spin straw into anything. What do you spin straw into? I would just be planning my escape. I'd be like, how do I get this straw strong enough? So give me a like a rope on out of here. That'd be my whole straw? thing. <laughs> Anyways, after this uh, solution proposed by the dwarf, being, you know, incredibly on point and a naive thinking, I mean, what are the chances I would even have a child? So with that in mind, she agrees to this absolutely ludicrous deal. And once again, the dwarf goes along and spins all the straw into gold. And the king is the next morning super ecstatic about all of this, that he has got all of this gold now and that she was successful in it. And he keeps his promise and he marries the miller's daughter and she becomes queen of the land. And they all live happily ever after. Until, of course, what do you know? The queen gets pregnant. Oh my gosh. Who could have seen this coming? 
Like, no one. What are the odds? What a baby, how? <laughs> Soon after the baby is born, the queen gets a visit from the same dwarf who helped her before and is now looking, looking to collect on her promise. Queen, who had completely forgotten this very crucial impulsive life decision, is absolutely shocked and horrified at her child being taken from her. Which, I mean, I don't blame her. I'd be pretty upset, too, if I found out someone was taking away my baby. But, um, did she really forget that promise, that crazy important decision she made that got her to being queen? Well, I mean... I don't know. I, I'm hoping that at some point, like while they've been married, the king and queen, you know, found time to laugh about this whole situation. And they had a conversation where the king at last asked, how were you able to do this, sweetie? And she said, well, listen, a little man came into the room and he did it instead. But we don't know. Maybe the king is still, you know, an erratic, weird man who just takes everything at face value. And it never got brought up again. Which, I mean, what do you talk about? Never asked her to do this again? I don't know. Like, there's never been a time where he's like, you know what, sweetie? I want to buy this really, really great moat. Could you do that spinning thing? (laughs) And, you know, fund this this little hobby? (laughs) Like, what do you talk about during dinner when you've just done this extremely traumatic thing to your wife? And she's sitting across from you and she's just, you know, eating her lamb. And you go, huh, you know, how's the weather? How is your day? At no point. How did you do this incredible thing? I don't thing? know. And at no point was she like, well, you know, sweetie, how's your lamb? Do you like the way I cooked it? You know, do you like the way I spun that gold? You know, the way you threatened to kill me? By the way, I promised her firstborn child to this weird, creepy guy. You know, it's a fairy tale. So I think we're being a bit harsh. But what do you talk about during dinner? <laughs> I really want to know, because this man seems, this king seems to have very, very intense coffee conversations. So I want to know why he's not having very intense dinner conversations with his wife. Maybe he's too busy having coffee conversations with every single peasant in his kingdom every day. Yeah, maybe. And at night, maybe he's just, like you know, sitting by the doors of all the peasant girls he's trapped in there waiting to see what they're going to do. Like Maybe one girl is going to fish silver bars out of a lake another one's going to christ like diamonds there is actually um a story by gail carson levine which is one of my favorite fairy tale authors she writes the most fantastic stories and retelling but there is a story of a maiden who is given a gift or i guess enchanted for helping this old witch and the enchantment is that when she speaks crystals and diamonds and gold comes out and this is supposed to be this great blessing where everyone is like she's supposed to become, you know, a princess. People are supposed to love her. It's supposed to bring her good fortune, but it brings her nothing but ill will and ill wishes because her evil stepmother tries to take them. The king only wants her because of this gift. Her throat hurts because she's, you know, coughing up stuff. She can't really talk to people without them trying to grab at her. She needs to talk to this maiden. They could form a support group. Well, so far, he's done nothing but help her out of a really tricky situation. Help her again, same situation. Both times he got paid, so those were fair game. But the third time, he just had a very simple request, and she could have said no. You know? She could have said no! She could have taken her chance. negotiated! I mean, she could have said, listen, once I become queen, um, I will give you something else, or I will, you know, give you something better than a child. Like, 
it's gonna cry, it's gonna poop. You want to take care of that? I'll give you a castle. Here, have a castle. Maybe like say he could visit him like the child on weekends or something. Yeah. You know, just well, you know, be part of its life. Yeah, or the person who helped me continue surviving. Uh, sure, you can get to know my kid. Yeah, you can teach him to do this weird spinny straw thing so that he can do that, you know, when he's older and then that can keep the economy going after the king gone through all this old juice spun before. I mean, there's so many ways out of it, but again, our female character here does not have much of a voice. Fortunately. If we call it that, much of a voice, much of a say, things happen to her, she lets them happen to her. And it's really hard to be judgmental of her in the sense that her choices are really, really bad. She can yeah. either be murdered by the king in cold blood because of her father, or she can bet on the fact that if she has a firstborn, that, you know, this the dwarf will raise it. It's really hard to be like, well, she didn't, she didn't say anything, she didn't do anything, because what can she do? She's crying, she doesn't know what her powers are going to be like, and, I mean, we, she should have tried to negotiate, but yeah. she's only been in this situation for a couple like she's trying to wrap her head around the fact that not only is she about to be killed her dad is you know a a bit uncaring doesn't really you know care about her no um, kidding she's about to become the king's wife there's this weird man in her room that can spin straw into gold and he might be some kind of you know demon or goblin or something it's it's a lot it's a lot happening to her i think we can be a little bit gentle with her in the sense that come on you should have done yeah, this, this but rough situation you know, for a girl. Yeah, it's like you know what, we'll we'll give you, we'll cut you some slack. We're not the only ones who are going to cut her a bit of slack because once again, at the thought of being this awful situation, she does the go-to thing and begins to cry. Seeing this, the uh, dwarf actually pities the queen and does decide to give her a bit of a break. If she can guess his name within three days. She can keep her baby. Ah, so generous. So generous. I mean, actually, he is being quite generous. She did agree to give him the baby, but what a random requirement. <laughs> it's just, okay, sure. With this, the queen sends her messengers throughout the kingdom to collect odd names for this elaborate guessing game. First day, she tried various names like Casper and Gimli. None were correct. The second day, the messengers brought back very uncommon names like ribs of beef, sheep shake, and whalebone. <laughs> that or the queen just accidentally got the messengers' dinner order. Like, <laughs> I would love this story so much more if his name was actually just ribs of beef. I would have never guessed a like a little dwarf man being called ribs of beef. So good for him for pulling out this game. But also, but, someone out there has a child named Ribs of Beef. Or were they, the messengers just like starting to say, like, put a couple words together. Maybe that's a name. You know what? Let's just, there's no point. We're never going to get it. Let's just make things up. It's like, Dad, why am I named um, Sheepshank? Or why is my sister named Rose? Oh, she's named Rose because your mother likes roses. Oh, why am I named Ribs of Beef? <laughs> well, son. <laughs> Your father likes ribs of beef. <laughs> and I got to name you, so that's your name. Oh my gosh, that's unfortunate. But guess what? None of these names were correct. Shocker! See that one coming? Not at all. On of the third day, Messenger tells the queen he conveniently overheard a little man singing deep in the mountains that 
his name was, oh, what was it again? It was, uh, oh yeah, Rumpelstiltskin. And of course, the queen guesses that this is his name, and she is, of course, right. Rumpelstiltskin gets so angry that she guessed right, that he stomps his leg into the ground so hard, it actually gets stuck. <laughs> and then oh, no. he proceeds to try and pull it out. But he pulls so hard that his leg comes right off, splitting him in two. And he just hops off. Poor man. To be seen again. Truly an incredible display of anger management from our guy. There's, There's an abundance of things to unpack. I will start with my favorite. It's some of the lyrics to the song that the people hear him singing. Well, in some cases, it's, you know, a random woodcutter. In some cases, it's the man that the queen sent out. In some cases, it's the queen herself. She follows him out and goes to see where he is to see if it'll give her any clues. And the song they hear is really, really fun for me because it's just it's just silly song that can, you know, have either a very silly, fun kind of intonation to it or a very creepy one. But the way I see it is I see it very fun. So the song lyrics go, Tonight, tonight, my plans I make. Tomorrow, tomorrow, the baby I take. The queen will never win the game. Stiltskin is my name. And it's just, it's so bizarre. This little man is just singing around a fire about his very clever plan to take this baby and a game that he conjured up for the queen to guess. And he knows that, you know, she's going to lose this game because who would have guessed Stiltskin? And he's just dancing. Just so proud of himself. <laughs> my guy. Don't risk uttering your own name. Remove your name from the mailbox. Remove yourself from the internet. Just remove it everywhere. Why are you risking this? No, no. I mean, and the fact that apparently in some versions of the story, she's able to just follow him. And we're assuming that he's a magical creature who can do magic. I feel at some point he would, you know, create like a, a portal or a magical way to get to his house. Maybe even some kind of spell around the perimeter to make sure people weren't sneaking up on him. I mean, it's very, very overconfident of him. Again, the theme of overconfidence the king has, the miller has. And now we see in Rumpelstiltskin where he's just singing about it carefree because he thinks he's already won. There's no game. This isn't a game to him where he can lose. It's something that he's like, well, I've won. I'm just going to boast about it to myself, to my fire. And if anyone's listening, well, now they know that my name is Rumpelstiltskin. Oh, bother. Truly an incredible display of anger management coming from our boy here. He is so incredibly confident in himself that when he actually loses, he is unable to handle it. And he literally tears himself in half. I mean, what the heck? Well, I mean, that's another interesting thing. In in the original version that I read in the 1812 edition, all he did was he ran away angrily and never came back. But... In the 1857 version, I think they went back and they're like, you know what? That's not gruesome enough. You know what? Make him, make him just stomp into the ground. And then, you know what? Make him tear himself into two. Let's do that. I I mean, they weren't grim enough. So they had to kind of double down on it, I suppose. I like this ending a lot better. I think it's just so random out of left field. (laughs) It's like, what? Well, it does kind of remind me of something else. I think it's Solomon the fact that it's the imagery of how when given the choice one of the women chooses not to partake in it as if the baby saved whereas here Rumpelstiltskin just tears himself in half as if he's just upset that he can't have the baby at all 
that he was just going to destroy everything he's worth over it. How in one scenario you have the woman who protects the baby by refusing to do the task, whereas here, unprompted, he just does it to himself. It seems he's from the school of philosophy of, I can't have the baby. No, no one, one can. can. Then before he's able to get to that part, he, he just kills himself. Well, not kills himself. He, he lives. That's the other crazy thing. He's, he actually lives and hops away. Well, again, magical being. So maybe he just, you know, he leaves and there's no repercussions for him. He just, you know, sews himself back together, spins himself well. And then he goes on with his day. That's why Rumpelstiltskin sequel. I don't know. I want to see him return with the babies. Like, yo, I was supposed to raise you. Maybe he has an orphanage out there. And he's just collecting all of these babies from weird parents. So he's like, you know what? Maybe he was watching the king. And he saw the king imprison this girl. And he went, well, that man's not going to be a fit father. Let me help out the girl. Make sure their baby is safe. And then... You know, I'll raise this kid so he's not like his father. And then I can give him back afterwards and he can, you know, be the rightful heir who's, you know, a good guy. Kind of like Arthur Pendragon, how he's, you know, not raised under Uther. And he's given back to the kingdom afterwards and he becomes this legendary ruler. So maybe it's one of those things where he's like, you know what? I know better. I'm going to save these people from these coffee dates. Yeah, maybe he was just dissatisfied with his coffee date with the king. Like, gosh, dang it. I feel like you listened to me. I'm gonna get back at this fool. Or maybe he originally on his coffee date, he told the king, you know what, I can I can, you know, spin straw into gold and the king, you know, maybe laughed at him. He's like, I'm gonna learn how seriously. to do it. Gosh dang it. Then he goes, he learns it, and he comes back. But before he can tell the king, he hears about this Miller's daughter who can do this task. And he's just like, Well I said it. I guess the baby cool. will have to do. <laughs> I call dibs on that. That is my one skill. It's my one. It does make me wonder, does he have other skills? Is this like, is this a magical thing where he can do it because he's magical? Or is it one of those things where it's just, this is his one talent. From the superhero pile, he got spins drawn to gold. While his friends are out there turning invisible, you know, shooting lasers out of their eyes. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, this is his only power. And that would be unfortunate. In some folktales, you have kind of the imagery or illusion to old spirits that possess some kind of power or magical creatures like fairies and goblins and dwarves. And sometimes there is a mention about sacrifice or giving up something to these magical creatures in order to get something back from them. Kind of like a price you pay for magic. So I think here we see that he does have a price. It's a token or it's some little jewelry piece. It's obviously anything because, you know, the next thing is a jump up from, you know, a ring, a necklace. A baby. So I wonder if he's one of those, like, maybe forgotten gods that doesn't really get mentioned anymore, isn't really worshipped, isn't really remembered in the stories or legends. And so he thinks he's safe in the fact that no one remembers him, so his name is lost to people. And this is his way of getting sacrifices. This is his way of getting, you know, a token that other spirits or patrons seem to be getting easily, where he just goes and he not demands it, but he takes an active role in acquiring his own sacrifices. He just goes to people. Like, I'm going to do it myself. Yeah, no one's coming to his altars. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go to them. He somehow knows when straw needs to be turned to gold and he appears in that moment. Extremely specific superpower that has somehow paid off. Well, I mean, it's like Hawkeye. People always made fun of Hawkeye for not having a real superpower. Hawkeye's great. You see Hawkeye in action. I'm like, you know what? Shooting arrows at thing is a weirdly specific thing to be really good at, but he's really good at it when it needs to be. Hawkeye is criminally underrated in the movies. 
He is such a fantastic character in the comics. If you want a great Hawkeye story, you should read Matt Fraction's run from 2012 to 2015, I think. It was one of those few runs that I know of where they actually deal with the fact that Hawkeye is deaf. Yes, Hawkeye is deaf in the comics. And there's this whole issue where there is no written words and everything is just signed because Hawkeye's lost his ability here again. It, it's a long story the way comics goes, but it's just really, really good. Highly recommend. That's actually really cool. I didn't even know that. I want to come back to what I think is kind of the biggest thing of this um, story. And it comes back to the fact that uh, we talked earlier about how, well, no one knows each other's names. Like that's a waste fairy tales are set up. You don't really know names. You kind of know positions, you know, archetypes. But this whole story hinges on the fact that she doesn't know the name. She doesn't know who she was dealing with when she made this deal. And I feel like this story is the quintessential power of names, or more importantly, your true name. That kind of, we see a lot in modern media, and I feel like we see that explored a lot in fantasy stories, but I feel like this is the go-to examples of it. I feel like it's one of those things where no character really has a name. We're never told, like, this is Abigail, the Miller's daughter. This is Paul, the Miller. This is Craig, the king. Um, we're just given their titles and their defining features, usually just one or two adjectives. Poor Miller, beautiful maiden, little man, um, king. So I think to have the one name be so important in this story is definitely what's going to make us focus on Rumpelstiltskin because why is his name so important? Why did he choose a game about name? Why is his name so important to him? And why is he so sure that she's not going to figure out the name? Mm -hmm. I think it's power in the name, but also a bit more of, I guess, confidence in your own name and your own being. He never questioned that she might guess the name. He could have very well just taken the baby and he would be well within his rights to do so because they made a deal. But he chooses to play this game where maybe at the end of it, he gets to reveal what his name is. And she takes that away from him when she tells him his name. One of the things that the story highlights is the idea that if you know your enemy, in this case, if you know the name of this dwarf who's in the queen's eyes out to get her, if you understand your enemy, you can defeat them. In this case, it was literally just if you can know the name, you know how to keep your child from Rumpelstiltskin. But we see that idea of know your enemy all the time in fantasy storytelling. 100%. I mean, the biggest one I can think of right off the top of my head would be our very, very dearly beloved anecdotal Good story of Harry Potter. We mentioned Harry Potter quite a bit because I think a lot of the elements of Harry Potter are so universal. And one of them being the whole know your enemy thing. I think with Voldemort specifically, Harry and Dumbledore spend a lot of time going into the past and looking at Tom Riddle and who Tom Riddle was and what made him Voldemort. And then we see the actual name Voldemort carry a ton of weight throughout the books. You can tell who the people are who are afraid of Voldemort by the way they refer to him as the Dark Lord. You see people who are afraid of him refer to him as he who shall not be named. And then you see the people who are against him and actively against him brazenly just calling him Voldemort and I think nothing is as powerful as when Harry says Voldemort and Ron flinches and he says don't call him that or you see the reaction of all of the other students when Harry says Voldemort and they all just kind of flinch because it's been ingrained in them to be afraid of this name they are terrified 
of this name so much so that they they're trying to wipe it out of history by just referring to him as he who shall not be named and this is a ministry practice where they say he who shall not be named all right sparrow now that we're coming to a close do you know what time it is it's summertime oh no wait hold on no it's time for our five fantastic fine I'll start with number one. So, Rumpelstiltskin is a name that we know him by, mm-hmm. but our little creepy man has many different names in many different countries. Apparently, a lot of different countries throughout the world, through different time periods, all came up with a weird story about the name of the helper. In England, his name is Tom Tit Tot. In Scotland, it's Whoopity Story. Number two. If you're looking for more Rumpelstiltskin, one place you can find him is on ABC's Once Upon a Time. This show covers a lot of fairy tales. It covers everything and kind of puts it all together in one magical place called Storybrooke. And you get a lot of interesting characters here. Honestly, the most interesting character was this character Rumpelstiltskin. He was also a character that, like in his original telling here, he really played on the idea of knowing someone's name gives him power. The spinning straw to gold wasn't as big of an aspect as much as he collected names that gave him power over people. And no one ever knew his name. So much to the point, actually, he plays like double to triple duty. I believe he also plays the role of Beast in Beauty and the Beast fairy tale. Yep. I think he also plays the role of the crocodile in the Peter Pan yeah. story. No one knows his name, so he can put on so many different hats. He's a very interesting rendition of the character. Number three. The name Rumpelstiltskin can also be traced back through a book that was written in 1577 about a game called Rumpelstilt Older de Poppert. Again, so sorry for my bad old German. In this case, Rumpel was a verb which translated to to make a noise. Stiltzer referred to a man with a limp and Poppart is a goblin. The game was kind of like Duck Duck Goose where children would take turns acting out the role of an evil goblin who would make scary noises, scare off the other children. So we kind of have more of a reference about where this name came from. No more reasons as to why he acted the way he did or why he, you know, could appear and spin gold. But at least we know that his name scared children. Number four, or should I say three? You might have noticed that the number three showed up a number of times in the story. Three nights of sewing, three days to guess his name. This rule of three pops up everywhere in storytelling and is most common in fairy tales. It's a pattern in stories that most likely is a result from oral storytelling, where remembering a pattern of three is a lot easier to remember than, say, well, five. But even then, the pattern still persists to this day. We have three heroes and a three-act structure needing to overcome three trials. Think of Harry Potter, the Golden Trio, the Percy Jackson heroes, or every Star Wars trilogy. All has a power trio. Heck, I have been listing things in threes. Oftentimes, events will happen in threes, the first two times to establish the norm and the final to be a twist. This can be played for comedy or as a tool for the author to raise tension for their heroes. In the case of Rumpelstiltskin, we saw that Maiden failed to give the correct name on the first two days, but was successful on the third. If she was successful the first time, there would have been no tension since she would have succeeded with so much time to spare. 
number five. Let's talk about spinning and spinners. So there's a lot of spinning happening in this story, and we're never quite so told why. So much spinning. We're never quite told why or how or anything really about spinning, but we do know that it's a big theme in the actual story. Some other fairy tales we see spinning and spindles as a huge part is Sleeping Beauty. She's told from a very young age that she's going to get her finger pricked by a spinning wheel and she will fall to her death. Now, it's kind of the imagery of fate. If we recall back in Greek and Roman mythology, there were three goddesses known as the Fates. And if anyone is an avid Percy Jackson reader, you will know that the Fates have a bit of yarn that they hold together and they spin them throughout a mortal's lives. And when it's time for that mortal to die, they will cut the thread. In this case, I think we can kind of take spinning to mean the fate. The girl really in the story has no control over her own destiny, over her own life. She's told where she'll be. She's told what she'll do. She's told who she'll marry and what's going to happen to her child. The only time that we see her kind of take agency is when she protects her child. And she goes out and she either commands people to go look for this man or she does it herself. But she's taking an active role in her own life at this point where she puts her foot down and she goes, enough is enough. Kind of like the Sleeping Beauty tale where instead of dying as her fate is supposed to be and as her fate is spun out to be, she gets put to sleep and she ends up waking up with a magical kiss. Now, we'll never know why Rumpelstiltskin can spin, but at least we kind of have insight as to why it's part of the story. Fox, I mean, after all that talk of spinning, I think it's time we got to spin on out of here. But in the meantime, travelers, stay safe. And remember, there's always a place for you in the Enchanted Forest. want to hear more from us and find out what our next tale will be come join us anytime on twitter or instagram at tales from the enchanted forest or you can email us at tales from the enchanted forest at gmail.com